everybody. Welcome to Busy Living Life. Busy Living Life. Busy Living Life. It's episode 256, 286 with Lily Beauvais. And today we are sponsored by Soberlink. Do you know that only 10% of the 15 million people that have been diagnosed with alcohol disorder, just alcohol use disorder have gotten help? And Soberlink strives to erase the stigma of addiction, just like Busy Living Sober does. And um, their remote control alcohol monitoring tool has helped over 500,000 people to be more accountable in their sobriety. I've teamed up with Soberlink to create the resource guide, Tips for Keeping Busy Living Sober for Those in Recovery. If you visit www w.soberlink.com slash BLS and download the resource. And if you or someone you know can benefit from accountability for alcohol recovery, you'll also find a form on that page to sign up for a $50 promo code. So if somebody out there needs this extra resource, please go to soberlink.com. And here we are back to our show, episode 286 with Lily Beauvais. And I've known Lily Beauvais since... She probably doesn't even remember not knowing busy, does she? No, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited that you came on because um, for one, I have to say, I'm really proud of you. I'm Thanks, really, guys. really proud of you. And um, I know this hasn't been easy. And um, the one thing that people, you know, we, we have this stigma, like I just talked about in that ad that I was doing and the stigma that we have about addiction and whether it be alcohol, drugs, or food, you know, it, it tends to overshadow us sometimes, the stigma, doesn't it? Definitely. Definitely. I've, uh, you know, I started probably struggling with an eating disorder at its, at its core as far as having symptoms and stuff my sophomore year of high school. Um, I had just started, or... My freshman year, I joined the crew team at Conestoga, which was a great experience. Um, but they had us exercising a lot and, um, you know, keeping track of our food and all this stuff uh, to help our performance, I guess. And uh, with, you know, paying attention to what I was putting in my body and then with all the exercising that they had us doing, I saw how I could kind of control my body shape and um, at, from there things just took off and I became super obsessive about it. Um, and I, yeah, it, that's kind of where things started. And um, so do you, would you say that before that sophomore year, cause you're what, at that point you're 14, 15 years old, right? At that mm -hmm. point. And I know as a little kid, you didn't really worry. Did you, I mean, I don't remember it ever being an issue, especially your mom and I, we've never like made it an issue for you guys, what you ate, did we? No, but I always was self-conscious about, so basically I started school at Episcopal Academy, which is um, a private school around where I grew up. And then I transferred, not transferred, but I switched schools in elementary school to the public elementary school. Um, and I was always a tomboy and I definitely, like, I never thought of anything wrong with my body really, but sometime around then, whether it was like teasing or what, um, I got the idea in my head that I was overweight. And that's kind of when 
this whole paradigm shifted where I started to feel for lack of a better term, like that not enough feeling. Um, and I remember, it's funny, I remember probably when I was in high school looking at a picture of myself on the soccer team when I was in kindergarten or first grade. And it made me so sad because I flashed back to seeing that picture when I was in, like when I got it, like kindergarten or first grade and thinking like, my legs are so fat. Um, so it, it's just weird somewhere, somewhere in those developmental years, I got the impression that my body wasn't the right size and I was unlikable or whatever. But I mean, I had a great childhood. It's just, that's something that I felt insecure about. Um, and then something when, you know, when I started crew, that's when I was able to, that was the first time I was able to change change my body in a way that felt really cool. And I remember I became obsessed with stepping on the scale. Like I would step on the scale multiple times a day, um, which is funny because we never even really had a scale growing up. And then I think my mom got one randomly, like just to, I don't know, lose. she was talking about she had twins when she was 40. So maybe that was something that reason she got, I don't even remember, but um, yeah, I just, I got on, the, I would get on the scale multiple times a day. And I remember when I was tracking my food intake, the coach would say, you're not eating enough. Like she would look at my journal and say, you're not eating enough. So it was funny. Cause I think I used it in the reverse way than it was actually meant to be. Um, and then even after the crew season, I just became obsessed with, I would spend hours and hours at the gym. Um, and yeah, I, I started to see some results. I just wanted to get as tiny as possible, basically, um, which did is weird. It, did it interfere with your schoolwork and your grades? Yeah, so my junior year of high school, my junior year of high school, it got really bad in the sense that I, I lost my period for a couple of years. Um, I stopped going out with my friends completely. I totally... I had a boyfriend at the time um, and it, I think that was actually a great relationship that I had. It, it, I don't think it impacted the eating disorder in a negative way at all, but he was the only one I would spend time with outside of my family. But, you know, two of my best friends, Caroline and Shelby, like I remember, I really like just, uh, what's that word called? What's called when you like- You isolated. So, isolated, thank you. Um, I isolated from them and I remember, you know, everyone got their driver's license and they would go out for dinner and I would just get such bad anxiety and I didn't want them to be like, oh, hey, you're like, why aren't you eating anything or why'd you get a salad without dressing and stuff like that. So I, I stopped hanging out with my friends a lot, which was hard. But the biggest thing that really affected me was I got really bad insomnia, um, like horrendous insomnia. Um, and that I later found out was because my body just, it was malnourished. Um, and something about it was keeping me up at night and I, it was the worst thing I had ever experienced. And that was a time where I was kind of, once I had did a little, had done a little bit of reading and been like, okay, so there's a chance that my eating disorder could be connected to insomnia. That was one of the biggest motivations to get help because I would gosh I just would I couldn't sleep it's the worst thing it's the worst feeling 
Um, and then, yeah, my grades. I was like a straight A, or straight a student my first two and a half years of high school. Um, and I remember when I took my SATs, my first couple times I did a lot lower than when I took them my senior year and I had started recovery for the anorexia, I guess I called that part of my journey anorexia. Um, I had started like being more, like not as malnourished and eating more regularly. And it was so crazy. My scores went up like 200 points. And I remember my mom and I just looking at them and being like, wow, I, a lot of this must've been due to the fact that you were unable to focus. I was cold all the time. Like it was just brutal. Um, but I also didn't want to give it up. So that was kind of the first leg of the eating disorder. And your mom knew about it, right? Your mom knew what was going on. And it's very hard to, to help, you know, your child, if they're like doing it in secret, you know, what's going on. And it's not like you can lock you to like chain you to a radiator and say, all right, this yeah. is where she is or put you in the basement. So you yes. went and you, so you, you did well in the SATs, you got into college. Yeah. And actually, so what was weird, I think my mom and dad, they actually, they didn't see day to day what was going on because they lived with me. So they couldn't see that, like, I had lost however many pounds and they couldn't see, um, there were a couple things they couldn't see. The only thing that I, that, I mean, I remember the morning, I remember telling them, I think it was right before Thanksgiving one night, I was supposed to be studying for a test and I was just on the computer and I was like, okay, sorry, rewind. So for a couple months, I was regurgitating basically everything I would eat. Like I, and so I went and I went to the doctor and they did like an endoscopy and a colonoscopy because they wanted to make sure that I didn't have any cysts or anything or anything going on with my digestion that was causing me to basically like, basically throw up every time I ate. Um, so I went and I got all those tests and everything came back fine. And I think in my head, I was like, oh, you know, I have acid reflux or I have this, and this is why I'm growing up. And that was also causing me to like keep weight off. Um, and I just remember fast forward to that night before Thanksgiving, I'm supposed to be studying for a test. And I was like, just reading about bulimia and it, it was starting to like finally come to the forefront of my head, not just a thought anymore. And I went in and I told my parents and I was just saying, I was like, hey, I, I think this isn't a digestion thing. I don't think it's acid reflux. I think I have an eating disorder called bulimia. And it took, my mom was always super, like both my parents were always super supportive, but it was brand new to them. They didn't have any experience of that. Um, my mom's dad, Franklin, who you know, um, he had alcohol, like he was an AA and he had been sober for a lot, uh, many years, but other than that, I don't think they had any, you know, first experience with addiction. So that was kind of the first exposure. And then I would say it was like a, a it was a roller coaster for them, for sure. It was really upsetting for them to see from what I remember, but, um, and then I went to college and that's where things kind of started to change because once I got, I became a little bit more nourished. Um, then my body was like, after being starved essentially for two and a half years, it was like, I want to eat everything all the time. And that's when the bulimia really became an issue. Um, I just remember 
you know, being at University of New Hampshire and multiple times a day going into the dining hall. It was like all you, you know, all you can eat or whatever. The freshmen had to have a plan, um, a dining hall meal plan and just like gorging myself. And then like drinking something and then going to the bathroom and throwing it up. And I would do that like, I like, I like used to think of them as like sessions. I like, I would throw up probably four times four times like a session and I would probably have like sometimes like five or six times a day that I would go into the dining hall and do that um and my body started to change in really weird ways like I started to gain a lot of like I gained a ton of weight um which was frustrating coming from that like anorexic or dry bulimia state of mind for a couple years that was really frustrating and then also my body just like I was constipated all the time my cheeks were super swollen um my like my mood was all over the place but I remember one day being in the uh bathroom of the dining hall at UNH and like I just felt something really weird in my chest and that was the first time I was like this could be really dangerous like I don't know if my heart like skipped a beat or what something happened though I felt a lot of pressure in my chest and I was like I have to stop this or who knows what will happen. So, um, so yeah, my first year of college really was tough. It stunk. Um, I had a great time at UNH. Like I, I liked it a lot, but I mean, I stole my roommate's food. There was just so much shame surrounding that whole year that I've been able to reflect on now, which is good, but, um, yeah, it was just a tough year. And you ended up, so and nothing, you didn't have a heart attack or anything. You just, and so you continued. And so then comes summertime and you decide, I'm just, I'm not going to go back to school and you decide to stay home. So I, the goal actually was to go back to school. I wanted to go back to UNH. Like by the end I had found, like I had made some good connections and I was getting to ski in the winter time and their ski club, which was fun. Um, so the idea was, uh, so I started seeing a normal therapist, like a normal eating disorder therapist. And she essentially told my mom and I that she couldn't keep seeing me because of basically how bad it was, like how much I was using the binging and purging. So she referred me to treatment. She was like, Lily needs to go to treatment. Um, so then I went to the Renfrew Center in Radnor uh, and did the outpatient I guess it was four days a week um so I did that all summer and it helped a little bit I mean it definitely looking back it was definitely a important part of my journey but I don't know if that's what stopped it you know I don't because I still struggled for years and years after the, that and that's what you know in those years of struggling after treatment that's kind of a point where I became pretty hopeless because it was like, okay, am I ever going to be able to experience life without binging and purging? And, um, but no, it was a good, it was a good starting point for sure. But I'm sure that this, this therapist saying to you and your mom, oh my gosh, I can't help you. You have to go to treatment. You're like, well, I, and, and for, and you know, sometimes people know that sometimes I say curse words here and you're probably like, holy shit. There's got to be something majorly wrong with me now because now this therapist that's supposed to be able to be magic and fix me is like, oh no, you're going to go here. 
So you go to outpatient four days a week and you're living at home and you're trying to have a normal life, right? And you're yeah. going here four days a week and you're getting a little bit of like, okay, talking to these people you don't really know. And this is kind yeah. of weird. It was it a lot of group therapy. A lot of group therapy and uh, what I struggled with a little bit with it, and I don't know if they've changed this framework, but a lot of it seemed to be focused on like a lot of the group discussions around eating disorders and like topics seem to be, seem to, you know, revolve around anorexia. Like that's how I was interpreting it because it was talking about fear of food and stuff and like topics like that and how to deal with those sorts of things. And I was like, I'm not, I mean, I'm scared of food still in some ways, but at that time, I remember wishing there was a little bit more of a curriculum geared towards bulimia, or maybe like if they had separated two groups, like people that struggled with, it's all intertwined, like for sure. But um, yeah, I do wish at the time I wished that like we could talk about binging and purging more rather than, oh, not eating for two days. Um, the other thing that I found really hard, and I know my mom struggled with this as well, um, at first when I saw that first therapist that I was talking about before, who was lovely, wonderful. Um, and then in at Renfrew was, well, I take that back. The first therapist I saw had experienced an eating disorder and had recovered from it, which was really hopeful to hear because when I was at Renfrew, after that, I had the therapists, I don't think they were able, like they weren't able to disclose their story. And this being like a brand new thing to my mom and I, and, and my dad, but it, it just felt like, like we had never heard a story of hope or recovery really outside of my first therapist. And she was super helpful, but I think she even struggled with, I don't think she struggled with bulimia, but, um, we, yeah, there just wasn't any success stories that I could find talking to anyone, which made me feel like, okay, maybe I will be living this with this forever and I just have to learn how to live with it. Um, and that stunk because that was just like, like having to exist like that, even when it became more and more spread out, it just, it was just such a vicious cycle, which I can imagine a lot of people feel with drinking um, and it just felt hopeless at some, some points, but, uh, one day at Renfrew, they had a speaker come in, a guest speaker, and she actually had recovered from an eating disorder. I think it was bulimia. And she came in and spoke at like this nighttime, uh, meeting or whatever. And it was just, it was, that was the first time I was like, okay, this is really cool. Like this girl is saying recovery is possible and that's incredible. And that's like enough for me at this point to like continue to work towards that, if that makes sense. Oh, totally. And not only this, but you're, you're 20 years old at this point. You're 20 years old. You were almost 21, right? You were, I think I was 19. Yeah, I mean, I, you were 19 not, probably. I might've even 19. been 17. Yeah. Yeah. Or, I mean, I know you were, you were young. So being this young person and I wanted to do, do, do a shout out really quick to Franklin. Cause he was, I mean, God, oh my God, God, he was the best. He inspired me to get sober and he always held my hand and he just passed away. And I, we just, he was the best They're, They don't make him like him anymore. And to Franklin, but he was great. Um, but not to deflect 
And um, I think that being 19 and having this this sense of hopelessness, and I I, I do want to do a sh- I want to mention something here. I mean, more people deal with this anorexia and bulimia than anybody ever knows because it's a really quiet thing. You know, people mm-hmm. do it all the time. It's all over our society, and it's so hushed. And I could say that it's even more hushed, and there's more shame around that than alcohol and drugs. I think because so many people mm-hmm. are focused on the alcohol and the drugs and they don't deal with the food. I mean, I know people that have not had a, have have had alcohol problems and they their alcoholism went into bulimia and anorexia, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. it happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah, and I think something that was kind of another reason like I had known a lot of my dad would always, you know, say, you know, Franklin is recovered. He, you know, you can you can do it. But something that was hard for me to wrap my mind around was I couldn't just never walk into a bar again. Like, like I feel like I would have, yeah, I don't know. I think I may have, like if I could never have food again, like I love food, don't get me wrong. But like, if it was something I could just cut out and stay away from, I think I would have had a lot easier time. It was then, you know, being at a holiday and having there be like a big buffet or, babysitting and like having put the kids to bed and like sitting there and saying like okay don't binge don't binge it wasn't just this thing like okay I need to stay away from this one thing because a lot of times what would trigger my binges is I would just overeat a regular meal and that feeling of being like over full would just trigger this switch in my mind and it was like I'm going to keep eating keep eating keep eating and then I'll go throw it up and it'll be fine so it, yeah, it's, it's tough when it's something that you have to face three times a day, you know, at the minimum. And I think people, there is a lot of shame around it. And, you know, there's been more awareness now that not all body types, not all people with an eating disorder have a certain body type. Like when my eating disorder was the worst, I didn't look like, I did not look like I was about to keel over and die because I was so thin. And I think that brings a lot of shame too. Sometimes thinking about it, because um, it's like you don't you don't look like you have an eating disorder. And uh, in fact, I probably look the opposite. But um, whatever that means. But there's just it's like I don't know. There's all these feelings around it. And I used to be so secretive, like going to the bathroom after meals, and you know, just stuff of stuff like that, like crazy things. And um, yeah, alcohol, there's such a good, I feel like as far as sobriety goes for alcoholism, there's so much more awareness and it's like oh, just over the past few years, even like I have a lot of friends that are sober and it's awesome. Um, there's, I feel like we're not at that point with eating disorders and men struggle with it a lot too, which is something that doesn't get brought to, you know, attention of and I think that you coming here today, I'm just like, I am, I, I, you don't understand. It's just amazing that, um, that we're doing this today. And I can't thank you enough for doing this because I believe just like you said, I mean, alcohol is one part of your life, but food is like, for one, it's the main focal point of a lot of families, right? It's got togethers. Mm-hmm. It's all about, I know my mom was always about, all right, what are we having for this meal? I mean, we would just finish breakfast and it's like, all right, what's for lunch? All right, what are we doing for dinner? And to have this, and and to have this, you know, relationship with, with food is really 
hard. It's very hard. And I know a lot of people that have used food in a way that you would think that you you can't get high off food, but you can, right? The sugar, you can get high off of. And people don't think that, right? And yeah, Biz, and what I would get high off of actually, like, so it would be, you know, eating, like stuffing yourself, absolutely stuffing yourself. And like with, it was normally like sugary foods or salty foods. And then what I would really get the high of was after throwing up, like those couple minutes, it's like such a release. It's such a relief. It's like, okay, like, whew, that's out of me. And then you still have the, but then, you know, the thing that people don't really, like a lot of people don't understand with bulimia is when you throw up, like you actually, you're not getting all that food out. Um, That's at least what I've read. And so it's not this, like, I don't know, I've had friends in the past be like, oh, like sometimes I, like I overeat and I just wish that I could like, I've had friends ask me about it and be like, how can you make yourself throw up? Like, not because they want to do it, they're just curious. Like, oh, sometimes I wish I could just do that. Like if I, you know, overeat too much and I'm like, you don't because it just becomes, you think it's a quick fix, but it's, I mean, it took probably a year for my body to regulate, like as far as not being constipated, as far as not being bloated 24 seven, as far as like my cheeks not being inflamed. And um, yeah, it's just, it's, there's all these side effects that I think it starts out. It's like, oh, that was a quick fix. That was great. Like now I don't have to, like, I felt bad about myself for eating all this food. And now I, now I can like, you know, that's now I don't have to worry about that, but it's just, it's the worst thing that I ever, I mean, I'm so grateful to be where I am. Um, Cause I really thought I was going to deal with it forever, but uh, it was, it's such a bad cycle. So you, so you went on and you continued. So you just, they decided to keep you at you, you, you as a family decided for you to stay home that next mm-hmm. semester, sophomore year. And so will you tell us what happened going forward from sophomore year? So I started going to, I went to Delco for a year um, while I did nighttime. So I transitioned into like evening at evenings at Renfrew, I believe. Um, and, you know, I was babysitting and I, was still just really struggling with it. Like it had gotten to the point where it wasn't happening every day, which was good, but it would happen probably twice a week. Like, and over time it just kept getting more and more spread out, which was good. But I'd say my junior or my sophomore or then going into my junior year of college, um, it plateaued, which was really frustrating. Cause it was like, I got to the point where I could go a week without it, without doing it, but then I would have like this huge binge. And it was at that point that it was kind of like, okay, maybe this is something I will live with forever. Um, But I also remember as like my episodes started to get more spread out, I started dealing more with like anxiety and depression because I had been, you know, blanketing that with the eating disorder. Um, so at one point my junior, so I started going to Temple University my junior year or what would have been my junior year. I think it was my, like halfway through my sophomore year. Um, and during that time, I just, I was like super depressed at points, um, super discouraged. still when I would struggle with the eating disorder, 
but I was still in a much better place where I could see myself like, okay, having a career one day. And I wasn't hopeless necessarily. Um, and yeah, just met a lot of great people through talking about, you know, my, my eating disorder and my mom sometimes would run into people and it would come up in conversation. And every story I would hear of somebody getting through it or being on the other side or having a daughter who got through it or a son that got through it, you know, that was like inspiration. Um, and yeah, I mean, I graduated college, which is good for, I had a, for a while it was tough to like live on my own. I was living with roommates for a couple of years and that was tough because you know, as I mentioned, that happened at UNH, sometimes I would like eat their food and have to replace it or like clog a toilet from growing, like it just brought on so much shame and so much of it was like sneaky and it was a tough couple of years, like it was a really tough couple of years because um, then you just become so hard on yourself. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, I ultimately ended up graduating from Temple in 2019. Um, and I was still kind of at that plateau with eating disorder. I'd say that I probably was dealing with it about once every week and a half, maybe. Um, and probably even a little bit more spread out than that. But uh, I was seeing a therapist that was really great based in Ardmore. And she had a really different approach, which was nice. Because for so long, it was like, oh, don't weigh yourself. Don't do this. Don't do that. Like, don't, you know, there were all these rules they don't want you to fall back into like a really bad cycle but um and shout out to their the name of their practice is evidence base it's like center for hope and health her name was melissa they're in ardmore they're great um but you know part of their treatment was like every week when i would come in i'd get on the scale and then you'd see that number and then you together would like process how it feels and like working around some of the beliefs I had around that number or how just seeing in patterns. I remember one of the things, like one day I came in and it was like two pounds lighter than I had been the week before. And she's like, how does that make you feel? And it, it triggers like this like super happy emotion. And it's just funny because she's like, I don't know, it's hard to break down, but you know, she just points out like, what's the difference between that and last week and there's not really a difference um and I, I feel so bad for like my little sisters are 14 and I don't feel bad for them specifically but it's hard growing up with social media and oh I want to get to all that I want to yeah. get to all that but I want to yeah. get to I want to get to where so you so then so you graduate you're going to see this therapist and then what happens and then what do you do so I moved, so the year before, the summer before I graduated, I moved to Breckenridge, Colorado to work for the summer. Um, I had always thought that the mountains, like I would really enjoy the mountains. So I moved out there, worked there for a summer and the eating disorder, I, it was, I was doing pretty well with it. Um, that was the first time I saw, started to see like drinking kind of affecting my eating disorder because I would get, like I would drink a lot and then come home and binge to sober up and then throw up so that that was the first time I kind of experienced that where that could kind of go hand in hand um that co-addiction I so that's when I kind of reconnected with you at one point I took a little break from drinking um 
but overall it was a great summer. And then I came back, finished school and wanted to go back to the mountains before finding a real job. Um, so I moved to Telluride, Colorado, which is where I am now. And something about it out here has just been, I don't know if it's like not as much emphasis on like how I interpret it as like looks and stuff, even though that could definitely be in my head, but um, just being able to be active most days and enjoy the scenery. It just, the mountains are pretty humbling. So it, somehow I'd say being out here, my eating disorder has become almost a non-issue, which is really incredible. So how long has it been since you've had, yeah. a, how long have you gone? So I had a little bit of trouble around right before the holidays. Um, but now I go like months without struggling with it. And it's hard to say, like I made a post on Instagram a couple weeks ago or a couple of days ago or whatever last week. And it's hard to be like recovery. Like, I don't want to be like, oh, I am fully recovered. Cause it is still a thought sometimes. And like, when I drink, it still can be a thought. And when I'm at a holiday or a big meal, like it can still be a thought, but the ability to be able to sit through it and not go act on it every time and then not feel that shame the next morning is just incredible. Like I truly thought that my world would revolve around food for the rest of my life. And it just doesn't, which is really cool, which is what I like would want people to hear. And I truly believe now that there's going to be a point, like, I think I might always have a little bit of the obsession, um, you know, just like those thoughts around food or more, it's more so body image now than around food. Like I used to be terrified of bagels. Like I would not eat a bagel. And like, I just had a bagel for breakfast this morning. And like, it's like, I laugh with my mom a lot and I'm like, gosh, it's so nice to get through a holiday and not be in my aunt's bathroom, which like, is kind of disturbing, but like, that's what would happen. And uh, it just, yeah, it's just incredible. Like, I feel so grateful and I don't, you know, my family's been super supportive and, you know, my mom, like, I think my dad had a hard time of understanding like why I couldn't just stop. But I mean, they were both there the whole way and it's just really cool to, to be where I am. And um, yeah, like I said, to share that message that like recovery is absolutely not linear. Like there were weeks, there were weeks that I was, would do really well. And then there were weeks that were the worst weeks of my life. It felt like, and for a while I wished that my boyfriend was like, don't go on there and ramble. And I'm rambling. Um, but there, there was a time that I wished that I had just gotten help right after the anorexia that I never had to deal with the bulimia because the bulimia felt so much more like being, it just felt like it felt like it changed my body so much more, did a lot more damage to my body. And that was really frustrating. Um, but at the end of the day, having like gone through both of it, I think it, I mean, I don't know. What, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, number one. Yeah. Number two, there's a promise in the in the AA that is, um, you will no longer regret the past nor which just shut the door on it. 
Yeah. And um, there are so many things I want to, that I want to bring up. So are you ready? Because here goes yeah. busy on our talking side. So um, when you were talking about your feelings that came up, it's such an inside job, just like alcoholism, right? Like, because alcoholism, it's, you know, I haven't had a drink in almost 16 years, but to say I haven't thought about it is a, would be a lie, right? Like I say, right. I think about it. I mean, I was telling somebody, I, I actually have told a lot of people this, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was going through a really hard time and I like to go to in-person meetings, but because of COVID, you know, I couldn't go. And I went mm-hmm. to the doctor and I'm like, yo, dude, can I get a blunt? And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I never even liked smoking weed, but yeah. I was like, but I wanted those feelings, right? It's the goddamn feelings mm-hmm. that get overwhelming, right? And it's just like, oh my gosh, these feelings, what can I do? For, I just want to make it go away. And the euphoria that you talked about, that you, when you get sick, it's like, oh my God, these endorphins just came up, right? These endorphins, I yeah. feel so much better. And it's so fleeting, right? It's so fleeting. It's just a matter of minutes, not hours and days. And um, I want to tell you, I don't know if you, re- you probably do not watch, and I'm a glutton for punishment, but I do watch the Housewives of New Jersey. And, you know, one of these, and um, it's interesting because last week on their episode, um, one of the, one of the cast members, it was at Renthrew. She went, oh, wow. yeah. So she has been dealing an eating disorder for her whole life. And she's, she has kids and her kids are like, wait a minute, why does mommy always only eat a certain portion of food? So I think that the stigma is starting to be, you know, it's starting to, people are starting to talk about it, which is something that needs no, to happen today. Do it, you agree? It's absolutely. It's something that needs to be it needs to be like publicized. It needs to, because it's such a secret thing. I mean, it's kind of like being at home and driving down 252 and seeing the big rehab poster on the side of the, you know, the big rehab billboard. I mean, I couldn't drive 15 years ago, but I know as a kid, I don't remember seeing big rehab billboards on the main line, but it's stuff like that, that you know, might get someone to think more about what they're going through and that they're not alone. And, you know, my, like I said before, my experience with an eating disorder, I mean, I didn't even, I'm sure like the obsession part started before high school, like the body image, the overeating, the feeling shame, the, and people like the fact that it's on the housewives, I think is really important. Like it just, there needs to be more exposure around it. Um, and we, we don't have that yet. And especially for males, because so many people struggle with eating disorders. And I mean, and there seems to be a good awareness around it. Um, as far as like around athletes, because a lot of athletes struggle, uh, it sounds like from like what I've read, but men, like the shame that I felt bringing it to the attention of my parents, or, you know, even like bringing it to the forefront of my brain and like realizing, okay, I have an eating disorder is, I mean, for a man who wants to admit that they're like, that's not the manly thing being worried about how you look or, but I've seen it. I have, I have a couple of friends that are guys out here that have struggled with bulimia, whether it was for wrestling or whatever. And it's just tough. And the fact that, you know, they're showing that on the real housewives, I think it's important. Like, I remember I found this YouTube series and I sent it to my mom. It was called Binge. Um, and they had a couple episodes of it on YouTube. It was like an independent project. They never finished, I don't think. But I sent it to my mom and it was kind of this dark comedy. And 
I was like, mom, this is the most real depiction of what I've gone, like that, like what it's like to have bulimia than I've ever seen in my entire life. And I sent it to her and like, I found so much joy out of watching it. Cause I was like this, like if this were brought to like a television, like TV, it would help so many people, I think. But she couldn't stand watching it because it was really upsetting to her. But there's something to be said for the people that are going through it to like see that and just realize they're not alone. It's like amazing. It, I don't know. But she, she hated it. She's like, why would you send me that? That's so upsetting. But I was like, I understand that it's upsetting for you. But that is like the day to day of what at the time I was living like that cycle. And they just did a really good job of, um, you know, showing like the ups and downs and the girl faking how she was okay and all this stuff. But I mean, yeah, I think the more awareness, the better. I totally agree. And I, it's interesting when you were just talking about that show um, and it binge, I think you said it was called. So if somebody wants to YouTube it, that's listening, you know, it's on, it's on YouTube binge. Um, I felt the same way when people are like, do you want to watch dope sick on Hulu? And I'm like, dude, I lived that my entire life. No, thank you. I don't want to watch people that are relapsing and people that are shooting up. I, I hear the, unfortunately, or fortunately I hear the horror stories. I don't want to watch it. Thank you. But, um, I want to talk about one other thing, and you mentioned it briefly about your sisters that are, are you know, they're teenagers, and um, right now, social media, and nobody talks about it, and I feel like I'm just going to pull this damn thing up, this thing, this cell phone, for those people just listening and not watching this on YouTube, um, has caused, you know, social media and different celebrities that are out there that are, you know, totally into the body. That's all they care mm-hmm. about is the body, right? We And I'm mm-hmm. just going to throw the Kardashians out there as people that these kids want to emulate, right? They get the bigger mm-hmm. boobs, they get the bigger butts, they get mm-hmm. skinnier, they do this, they do that, they cut... They, and kids want to be like that. And I know a bunch of kids that like want to get the fake eyelashes and want to wear the, the, the top shirts and they're doing selfies all the time. I mean, I live at the beach, so I, and you probably see it at the mountains too. They're taking pictures of themselves all the time. And it's so, you know, self-oriented and outside. It's all about the outside. And I think that that could contribute big time to eating disorders, don't you? Definitely. I mean, to be completely honest, like, I'm sure my boyfriend would say that he's, he's 10 years older than me. Um, so he's a little bit of a different generation, but I find myself doing that all the time. I find myself taking, which is something that, you know, I've gotten better with, but taking pictures of myself in the mirror and then like scrutinizing the crap out of it. Um, and then, or, you know, we just went on a ski trip and I was like, take a video of me. Like, cause I want to see like how good I've got, like how much better I've gotten skiing, if I've gotten better, whatever. And then I go and post it. And so I think, you know, I don't want to sit here and say, I don't struggle with that because it's not true. Um, and I think a lot of people, if there are kids out there that don't have social media, like, so I, I took a week and a half off of social media. I deleted my Instagram. It was the best thing I've ever done. Then my friend got engaged and I was like, I need to see like everything. And you know, so I redownloaded it. But um, anyway, so I think that just the amount of time we spend taking pictures of ourselves and then it always gets me the amount of time I spend like choosing what photo to post because it's like, it's just insane. It, it, like I'll spend freaking an hour 
like cropping a photo, I'm not changing my body, but like cropping it or putting like a light filter on it or like coming up with a caption on it. Um, but anyway, as far as, as far as kids seeing thin, like. But I want to interrupt really quick because yeah. I believe and um, Kent, Hadley, and Henry are all the same. My three kids, for those listening, are the same exact age as you are. And Hadley, all the time, my daughter always takes, she's like, mom, I'm getting off that stuff. And she goes on yeah. breaks as well. But you guys were like at the beginning of this. You guys didn't even really have Snapchat. I mean, I think when no, you guys yeah. were like, I mean, how old were you in Snapchat and all this? And you guys were at that, like. I think my first post on Instagram was like my junior year of high school. So right. yeah, we had those, my, the twins aren't even at their junior year in high school. Um, and it's sad because I don't even think that they realize the body comparison and stuff. Like when you're looking at even your friends, like it doesn't even have to be a celebrity, but you see someone in a bikini or whatever, it's hard not to have those thoughts of comparison. And um, that, and you know, you there's constantly ads for workout programs and this and that. And I just think like if I had grown up with that in my face as a middle schooler and like beginning of high school, like they weren't that great at ad targeting in the beginning of high school. But I, don't, I have no idea what would have happened. Like I would have got the amount of time I get sucked into my phone now. Like I can imagine I would have horrible social anxiety just from how much time I would have spent on that dang thing because it's addicting and then you just start stalking you know your ex-boyfriend's girlfriend and you're like oh she's so thin like it's just I don't know the whole thing is crazy to me and I, I think it's people say you know social media isn't all bad and I, I believe that I'm like you can follow really inspiring accounts which is good but I just think all the potentially harmful stuff that comes with it like in a perfect world, I think it totally isn't worth it. No, um, I think it, I think that the negative outweighs the positive. And I, I have found for a lot of people and people that I know that don't even struggle with addiction, right? And people that are just normal. And I hate to say normal because to me, normal is like Wonder Bread because it all looks right. the exact same. But, right. you know, I feel like some people, they look at it and they're like, oh, I wasn't invited to this party. Why wasn't I invited to oh, this that party? Just like is, the whole yeah. psyche, the whole psyche. So I think this is just like getting out there. I hope that this is just the beginning of people getting yeah. out there and talking about about this and I really would love for you to come back on I want if people want to reach if people want to reach out to um Lily you can reach out to me at busylivingsober.com at busy at busylivingsober.com you know Lily um again I can't thank you enough I know your mom and dad they're like some of my dearest friends I love them so much and I know that they I mean I know your mom especially because we talked a lot about this like what she could do and she tried to do everything I know moms and dads out there all over the country and spouses and siblings all watching this are gonna feel like they aren't alone and your courage for coming on here I just can't even ah! I can't tell you. I just wish I could hug you. You've got to come to Thanks, Florida. Chris. You have to come bring your man to Florida. I know. I would love to. And honestly, because I just want to say one more thing. Like, if anyone wants to have a conversation, like, again, that is, like, what helped me. So if anyone ever needs my phone number or anything or just wants to hear about someone that's 
like how I like to consider on the other side of it. Don't hesitate because that is, you know, that's what kept me going for sure, which is great. Well, I'm gonna tag your, I'm gonna put your Instagram tag. We're not gonna put your phone number or anything like okay, that yeah, on there yeah, because yeah. we don't want anybody to just call you. But we will put your tag on there from Instagram. And it's so important. I just, I can't even tell you how important this is because I know a lot of people that have battled this a really, really long time. I know someone that just would, I mean, nobody knew. I mean, she would go mm -hmm. to Wawa, you know, and just buy a ton of crap and just go home and just make her yeah. I mean, it's just, and it's just like alcoholism, right? It's yeah. just another thing to put into our body and, you know, take us away from these thoughts and, to know right. that there is a solution is huge and congratulations to you. Thanks, Biz. Thank you for having me on. I Big love fan you so much. Busy living life. Is it busy living life? Now? Busy living life, busy living busy sober. Living it's life. also awesome. And thanks again for being on. Big kisses. And you guys can watch us on YouTube. You can follow us on Instagram, on all those social media. I don't do it anymore like I used to because like you, I'm kind of sick of it. And you know, I don't really give it. Obviously, I don't care what I look like. Look at me today. It's crazy. But um, until it's next gorgeous. time. Oh, thanks, honey. Love you. And um, until next time, keep getting busy, living sober. Bye-bye, everybody. Take care.